Welcome to Dropping In from Omega Institute, a podcast that explores the many ways to awaken the best in the human spirit. I'm Callie Alpert. Dropping in today, Leslie Salmon-Jones. Leslie is a professional dancer, wellness coach, certified holistic personal trainer, and co-founder of Afroflow Yoga, an embodied practice that infuses dance movements of the African diaspora with live music and yoga. Afroflow Yoga offers in-person and virtual classes, workshops, retreats, and teacher training programs to build community, cultivate activism, and offer racial and trauma healing programs, as well as programs for marginalized women and youth, including indigenous communities in Northern Canada. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you for dropping in today. It's so good to see you. Thank you, Callie. It's an honor to be here. So I want to start by telling you the first time I saw a video of you on the Omega website, it was of you and your husband, Jeff, who's your multi-instrumentalist and co-founder of Afroflow Yoga. I saw you on a video on Omega's website, and I was so taken watching you, and I felt like I was watching a pure embodiment of joy. And then I was wondering what to cheat for breakfast. (laughs) And I'm just wondering what I was witnessing watching you dance. Mm. and what you were feeling. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, that brings me joy. Um, Wow. Uh, That's such a great question. I would just say that when I'm, I have a sense of freedom when I'm dancing. I've been dancing since I was a little girl and, uh, and it really brings me to a place of home in my heart. And then, of course, with the the accompaniment of Jeff and all his instruments, it just unleashes um, so much so much freedom uh, within me. And it's also been a part of my healing journey, so it connects me to that place of deep healing. I want to hear more about your healing journey. Um, first, I'd like to hear a little bit more detail about Afro Flow Yoga and what inspired it. Hmm. And also what it's like to work with your husband. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's something great. people either really aspire to or really don't aspire to. It yeah. doesn't seem to be a lot of, you know, shades, shades of gray in between. Absolutely. It's definitely been a journey and an, an, an organic journey. Um, <clears throat> because I, I didn't set out thinking about, oh, what should I create? Mm. But uh, it really came out of uh, that the deep healing journey in 2007. Jeff and I traveled throughout West Africa after three of our grandparents, uh, three of our parents actually had passed away. We had been married for 11 years. And um, and my family, uh, family background, uh, was born in Toronto, Canada and come from a Jamaican ancestry. Three of my grandparents were Jamaican. And the only grandparent I knew was my grandmother, Violet Bell, who was Scottish, Irish, Canadian. And Jeff, on the other hand, um, he comes from a lineage of African-Americans who can trace from, uh, all the way back to an enslaved African girl. She came in at the age of eight. She was brought to this land. And so because uh, the U.S. have inventory, the enslaved Africans were inventory, 
Mm. He can trace back. They have a family tree. They can name all the people. It's wow. really quite, a, they have a family crest. Their family reunions have 200 people. It's amazing. And because uh, my grandparents, the three of my grandparents on the Jamaican side, there was no real history there that we knew of. But then on the Scottish-Irish side, we had a book mm-hmm. uh, so thick dating back to Dundee, Scotland and like the early 1800s and the names. And so there was this quest to really find mm-hmm. out more. And um, so we went throughout West Africa. We went to Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Togo and Benin. And we knew it was important to actually go to the places where our ancestors were most likely taken from. Mm. And those were the slave dungeons. And they call them slave castles, but really they're dungeons. And to stand on that ground uh, was really answering the prayers of our ancestors. So within that, that that ignited um, within my cells, uh, just that deep sense of returning home. And also some of the trauma, it did kick up some of the uh, legacies of trauma. Mm. So after that journey, I ended up uh, going on a two-year journey of healing, deep healing. Uh, And a lot of it had to do with healing my womb. I'm an empathetic person. When I stood in the female slave dungeons, I could actually feel the contraction in my body. And and then it ended up um, actually uh, manifesting physically in my womb. And I had, uh, I had <clears throat> some precancer cells. And when I got back and I ended up, instead of running away from it, I went deep into like what that meant. And I just knew it was connected to the trauma. I was in prayer and meditation and I had a vision. Afroflow yoga just came through. And the description of Afroflow, it all just came. Spirit was... Uh, talking. channeling, talking to me. And I was listening. I was finally at a place where I could listen. And then I, I very confidently, because it clearly wasn't coming from me, <laughs> I very confidently um, uh, listened to that deep voice and, and, and taught in Sedona, Arizona. So Afroflu Yoga was actually born on the vortexes on a, during a full moon. And it was this amazing, <laughs> spontaneous combustion of, of, of joy. And uh, somehow some drummers came out of the woodwork and, and we, it was just the most incredible <laughs> experience. My mother was there. So her, she saw her witnessed, I call it, her grandchild was born and my sister was like, so there was a whole midwifing of Afroflow yoga. And then Jeff, of course, after we had been married for 12 years at that time, he was a bass player and he said, you know, you have to have live music at every offering. You just need the live music. I said, that would be so fantastic. But who's going to play the live music for me? <laughs> and he said, I will play the live music for you. <laughs> and of course, he started pulling out. As If you get to know Jeff, you'll realize that he's like so incredibly talented on so many levels. And he pulled out some bongos and some congos and jimbe. And then one that we got from Africa. And he started playing it. And unbeknownst to me, he had played when he was younger. 
And then all of a sudden I have this new husband who is, uh, is now we're, we're, we're really, um, this is now our child. <laughs> we're wow. doing this together. And it was all stream of consciousness. I want to go back, if I may, uh, because it's so important to what happened when you were there at those slave dungeons, mm. if I may. Yes, please do. Do you, um, was the reaction that you had and the trauma that God awakened in you something that you were surprised by, or did you have any sense that you were, it wouldn't be a huge surprise that you'd have a very deep experience there. Did what happened surprise yeah. you? I, I wouldn't say it surprised me, but I would say maybe the visceral reaction to, um, I knew of the slave dungeons. I knew that many people would go and visit. It was a real, real pilgrimage to go there. So I was prepared in that way. That's why we went. We really wanted to go there. I was surprised, I would say, by um, the sensations that I felt because going, you can't really describe it, but when you go into the female slave dungeon, for example, you can still feel the presence, like the scent, the smell. Mm. Uh, you feel the presence of the people. It's so deep and it's something that can't be washed down. Right. And so I think that's what really struck me. I, I you know, the smell of it and this, and then it just takes you right there. We're imagining you know, so many women um, and like, and then to see like there was no air. Uh, there were little tiny holes and that those holes weren't for people to be able to breathe. It was more so that, you know, they're the, the people who captured them could spy on them and make sure that they weren't trying to get out. So that was really shocking. Like the cruelty uh, and how people actually survived because what we learned was that before people were put in the slave dungeons, they were actually had a two month journey walking from the center of the country to the coast. And I don't know if I could survive that. Right. And so you just, and you're chained and you're not eating and you're not, you know, it's it, a lot of people passed away just from that journey. Mm -hmm. And then you're in the slave dungeons for two months. And what I was really surprised about was more so that people uh, the people, whether it was like Scottish or British or whoever was in, in power at the time, they had PhDs to figure out how to dehumanize people. And that's what was more so blind, mind blowing that the, the level of, of depth and, and strategy Mm -hmm. to actually break people down. And that's when I made the connection. Well, all the work I've been doing with uh, um, marginalized communities, it all made sense because of course, I mean, that's, those are deep, that's 400 years of conditioning of dehumanization. To what degree is that able to be unpacked in any really true way? Exactly. As much as many people try. Yeah. So to that point, your mission with Afroflow Yoga is to inspire unity and love and harmony and interconnection while striving for social justice and equity. Can you talk about how this practice can support people in the name of a more inclusive and equitable world? Mm. A loaded question, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, for one thing, I think it's um, 
the work that we've done on ourselves. Like, so uh, when I come into this practice, I've done a lot of work on healing the oppressed and the oppressor within the enslaved and the, the master within. So when people are coming in and then I come from a family that is so multi-generational, multicultural, multi, 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 and Jeff as well. I mean, just our exposure to that. So when people come in, they're loved. We're, we're not looking at the color of your skin. We're not looking at the size of your body. We're not looking at any of that, just your soul. So that's one thing, that, that feeling of welcome, being welcomed. And then the other thing is, is that it's not a heady practice. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the idea is to come into your heart, come into your breath. And I think there's so much in spaciousness and potential in the heart and, and the head, we get so limited in our, in our thoughts and our head and our perceptions and our conditioning. So the invitation is really to come into the heart and then also in a non-judgmental and uh, environment. So we invite people when they come in to really practice um, self-care. And so it's not about coming in and being competitive. And a lot of people come, they, there's some fear there because they never dance. Mm-hmm. Self-consciousness. Yeah, they've never danced. They've never danced. Or in their minds, it's like they're not a dancer or they're not a yogi. Or... The invitation is really be you. And um, and take your time and and practice non judgment not only of yourself but of others. Mm-hmm. And so once we set that environment, it, there's an, a freedom that comes through and acceptance and uh, healing. A lot of people come and they say they they came because their hearts needed healing. And I'd say that is probably one of the the main things that people speak of. Yeah. I'd love to talk about the concept of embodiment. Mm. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot, even in researching before this uh, conversation with you today. The idea that there is such a uh, disassociation would be the word, I guess, when people are experiencing any sort of trauma, even Mm. if they're not conscious of it, where there's a separation between what happens in your head and what happens in your body. Is that a common condition and one that maybe we need to pay a little bit more attention to before we get to the part where we figure out how to solve it with more embodiment practices? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we have the um, <clears throat> the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system and the nervous system and, and the natural uh, fight or flight or freeze or fawn. Um, and so when we're not aware of that, we just naturally go into our reaction. And, and so the disconnect as well, I think has a lot to do with colonization Mm. and the disconnect to the earth and the, the conquering and dividing because it's in studying a lot of indigenous and African cultures and cultures around the world. And, there are ways of, of, of healing more, more natural where you might go into a movement or you might go into singing. The, those rituals are there for that reason to really support people. But now that those rituals have been, um, have been taken away in, in, in many forms, then we just have that, that fight or flight. Those are the tools that we have. And, you know, that just, it just happens, you know. Doesn't leave us with a lot. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. So there's been so much loss, especially around COVID individually, collectively, and yet loss is always a part of human existence. I'd love to hear you speak to that and the idea of trauma, the work perhaps that you've done with Afroflow Yoga um, and individually and just anything that you would advise for people that are experiencing this kind of loss, this kind of challenge. Yes, thank you. It really has been such a time of loss and, and deep grief. And and uh, in my experience working particularly with uh, Melodoma Somme, who does a beautiful grief ritual. Um, one of the things that I've learned from him is that the practices of, of grief and our rituals have been taken away from us. And it's such a part of life. As you, as you had mentioned, Callie, it's part of nature loss. And uh, I have been experiencing um, some grief, the loss of my brother and a couple of good friends. And, and I've been really thinking about this idea of the impermanence and the nature of impermanence. And, and um, one of the things that I I find is really helpful in dealing with loss as we, we understand it is that nature is such a great teacher. And, uh, and so I've been spending a lot of time in my garden. So when my brother passed, my husband and I, we ended up planting uh, three trees in, in honor of his, his children and being in nature, just going into the dirt and, and, pulling up the roots, the old roots that are no longer serving, and then to be able to really nourish the soil and then to plant something new. is such a wonderful teacher and a reminder of the, not only the impermanent nature, but the beautiful cycle, the rhythm of, of nature and of life and of loss and, of, and composting what is, is old into something beautiful and new. Um, and so this is a, it's a great reminder uh, when we are experiencing loss, how much uh, when you experience loss and you're, you're grieving deeply, how, what, how much love you have also experienced. It's a great reminder of that. Like, wow. To be able to grieve is to be able to love and vice versa. Yeah. Do you have suggestions for people that are grieving in a myriad of different ways because the bottom line is grief is grief yeah right yeah and it takes time i think in the society oftentimes when we lose a loved one we rush back or we're you know people say okay you have three days and more into grief and then just get back to work and uh that's not how grief works it can be a lifetime it can be a process and it's sometimes it's just learning to live with grief with that grief and um, uh, and it depends, like on your practice and on your faith. So what was really helpful for me was connecting to my ancestry. And as my father passed away, it's like I have a new relationship with him now, more expansive relationship actually. And through his stories and legacy, it carries through me. And to me, that gives my dad life and our relationship a new life. Um, so I recommend for people just to be really, it's a tender time and, uh, and to, to, uh, encourage you to uh, 
find practices that perhaps are helpful, whether it's being sitting in quiet or I created altars, if, you know, if, if having a beautiful little memorial for your loved one is helpful. Uh, and, and the tendency might be to suppress the feelings of, of deep loss, but uh, in, when you can go into it and, and actually allow it to come up. And the other thing I did when my dad passed away is I danced on his behalf. I went to start going to Afro-Haitian dance classes. The drums connected me to, to the rhythm of my heart and to my dad and because he couldn't dance on the physical uh, I could certainly dance uh, in his honor. So that was really healing. That's so beautiful. It's so touching to hear that. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the power of rhythms. There's such a primal thing. Mm-hmm. Their origins are extremely ancient yeah. and fundamental. What do rhythms do for people? Mm. Yeah, so there's uh, so many different rhythms. I always think of it the the drum, the heartbeat, and so we have our own natural rhythms within, and that that drum connects to our our natural heartbeat. And there's different vibrations, uh, different vibrations connect to different chakras. And as my husband is playing, for example, he might play a rhythm to bring um, a little calm to people, a slower vibration that helps actually the nervous system settle a little bit more, regulates your breath. Oftentimes when we're working with kids, for example, um, he literally will start really playing the drums and it gets, it matches their energy. (laughs) And then once again, it's, it's a communication. It's a way of communicating. And then when you look at the rhythms of nature, you look at the, you know, the solstices and the, the different, when the dark times and, and to go with when it's a little lighter outside. I, I really believe that's how <laughs> ancient times we were, we were, we were more regulated by the rhythms and we, we lost uh, our way. So I feel like we're coming back into that awareness of, of, oh, it's a solstice coming up and there's certain rituals we can do around that time. And then there's the rhythm of the water. Like if you think about the ocean and the, the, the inhalation and the exhalation, the rhythm of the tide that comes into the shore, it's like the breath and then the exhalation when you release and let go. And so syncing up and knowing that we're like, we are water. We are all um, part of that and to find that natural rhythm. And sometimes it's like coming into the stillness when we can come into the stillness again, it's that practicing of deep listening and resyncing. Like the animals, they know when things are are happening, and we all have that instinct within. But when we're running at a phonetic pace in society, uh, where it doesn't really encourage those natural rhythms, that's when we can feel separated from from the rhythms. Yeah. I think everybody should have some version of a drum or a percussive instrument in their house. <laughs> well, I would say if you don't, you have it in your body, you mm-hmm. have it in your heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so we all have it. <laughs> That's yeah. your beating drum right there. That's your yeah. beating drum right there. And just even placing your hand on your heart and just feeling that that rhythm and tuning in can be a really powerful practice. So what does it mean exactly to be in one's body? It's a term that gets used a lot. And I'm not sure that people know what it really means. 
Mm-hmm. And again, circling back to what I said at the beginning of this conversation, watching you and watching you conduct your classes looks like what I would imagine is the embodiment or being in one's body or what you're mm. encouraging people to do. So what does, mm. what does it mean for people that haven't experienced that? Mm. That is such a big, great question, Kelly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I would say that, um, and I, I'm going to speak for myself from mm-hmm. my experience because everyone has a different experience. So for me, what might feel embodied might be different from you. Certainly, for me, the embodiment is the awakening of the, the consciousness within. It's the energy uh, that can get uh, it can get stuck oftentimes, and it's the awareness of that. It's it's um, it's moving through uh, a relationship, maybe with pain. If you if you feel certain certain um, pain bodies or certain parts of yourself those are the signals it's easy to to numb them out Mm -hmm. or to go deep into them and the more we can have that relationship with the body uh and understanding what stories the body is carrying what what uh how to how to work we're not really raised to think about the body we're not raised even to think about the earth so much so um these are all conditioning again Mm -hmm. um and i often think about the planet and i think about the galaxies and i think about how the galaxies and the planets are always in motion and they're dancing they're constantly Mm -hmm. in motion and i have a friend who studied astrophysics and she studied she was an astrophysicist and she studied the sound of planets and each planet has its own sound. Each planet has its own song, its own vibration. So there's music and movement in the universe. And that's within us. Do you day-to-day feel like you're in your body most of the time, all of the time? So I am aware, Kelly, when I am less in my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it feels what, how I can describe it is like, it feels a little sleepy today, or it's not quite as vibrant or awake. And so there are practices that I do to awaken, um, the, the, the nervous system, the cells, the, to get the flow going. Um, and so it's, it's, it's definitely a discipline and I feel much better, like even preparing to talk to you. It's raining today, and I felt like it was a little heavier and a little more sluggish. So I did my breathing exercises and opened my lungs and just moved, and I just feel much more alive now. (laughs) And I have the benefit of talking to you on Zoom so I can see you as your very flexible shoulders are moving around, and I'm sitting here hunched over the microphone thinking, oh, I better sit up a little bit straighter. Um, How does one begin to become more aware of their relationship with their body? Mm, That's a wonderful, wonderful question. I'd say that um, there are different points of entry. And I would say to be really truthful to yourself. And so, for example, um, if there's something in your physical body that is uh, 
causing you pain. You might want to take some time to investigate what that is because that's a signal. And what I mean by that is maybe slow down, maybe, you know, practice self-care, go into that. So there's different parts of your body that might um, show up with different emotions. So for example, around the back, the spine, it could, it could be related to family issues. Um, maybe around the shoulder area, it could be related to your confidence. Uh, so there are certain things that show up to inform you, your information. And there's a wealth of knowledge inside. And it's really about practicing the listening, that inner ear. Same thing with your emotions. If you're um, experiencing a lot of anxiety, for example, that might be another point of entry, like getting to mm -hmm. perhaps the root cause. What happens? What do you notice? How do you feel? Like, are your hands sweaty? Does your heart race? And what where, what are you doing as you're feeling that? Can you write it down, perhaps, if you're someone to write? Can you notice in this moment, like, I feel anxious when someone walks in the room? And so to notice, and then there's usually a route to that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a story from when you're a little, something happened to you when someone walked in the room and it was a traumatic thing that happened. And you can come back into that place and it's supposed to suppress it you can actually maybe use it as an opportunity to heal that old story that's showing up now. I think it's um, so helpful just to hear you talking about the encouragement of just listening and remembering that your body has a voice. So you, you mentioned self-care. I know that you grew up knowing the importance of self-care from a young age, thanks to your mother, right? Mm -hmm. yes. um, what did what did you learn, and were you able to implement it once you were on your own, mm. and not in her household? Was it as easy, sure. and were you as exposed to it as you were when she was teaching it to you? Sure, and it was also my dad as well. Oh, so okay. my my both of my you. parents, we would often play tennis. We do a lot of um, group fun family activities together. I watched my mother. And my dad both really work really hard. Um, my mom as a community activist, human rights activist, and my dad as a surgeon. And, and, and high level stress oftentimes. And they both seem to be able to handle it really calmly. Like rarely, I rarely did they raise their voices. And, and, uh, and they practice self-care with whether it was like eating my mother for example would make my dad lunch even she'd come home and she put his lunch in a in a paper bag <laughs> for him to take to the hospital and then to his office so it was like a ritual of that my dad would make the oatmeal in the morning and we'd eat the oatmeal and or my dad would take the stairs, just take the stairs. My mother, um, in between her very busy, busy life, would take me to the gym as a teenager. So we'd have our time together. So what I watched both of them do in their very highly, potentially highly stressed lives were really put self-care at the forefront. And it wasn't an act of being selfish. It was an act of actually being able to manage and regulate mm -hmm. 
And so that's what I learned. And I, I would say the same thing for my uh, siblings as well. That modeling really, really uh, informs us all today. You've talked a lot about um, the idea of one's core, mm-hmm. um, the physical core, the inner spiritual core, the core of the earth. Can you tie those together? Mm. They're, they're, they're separable in day-to-day life and the way they're presented. You know, you work on your core when you're doing a yoga posture or a sure. plank or you're getting in touch with your inner essence, your, you know, your emotional, spiritual core. Um, but to link them t- together, I sense there might be some link that even as I was researching you popped in that I wanted mm. to ask you about. Yeah. And I, when, I, when you say that, it's, you take me back to like when I was really looking at that, and I'd say that was over a decade ago, like a couple of de- like probably two decades ago, I was really going into that. So I love that you're bringing me back to that because it's all interconnected and how that question and that, that belief of the core actually um, keeps unfolding. And it's like a tree. And I keep coming back to the tree because the tree has like the layers. You have the core and then you see all of the layers and all of the stories. And it's like an onion. And that information is so powerful, yet it keeps the tree balanced. It keeps the tree connected to the root system, which is so powerful. Without the root system, that tree would fall. Yet it keeps it so connected to the nourishment of the sunlight. Uh, and so I think about the layers of the core. And, and so on my healing journey, you know, I remember awakening to this, the physical core at a, a dance class in Alvin Ailey when I was training and my teacher would talk about that. And I was like, what the heck is she talking about? <laughs> and then it, one day just, it was like an aha, it clicked. And then I found that place of balance. And then think about um, the emotions when I was really doing this work. I was challenged with the emotional body when I was doing the healing and it was like right in my womb was where I discovered that depth of, of pain and trauma and shame and all of those things that I pushed down into my core and thinking I would just continue on. And uh, so that unlayering, uncovering and getting to that, that essence the true essence. And I feel like we could do that on all levels and, and then get to that place of impermanence and is, there is no separation. Uh, yeah. You bring up the onion analogy and I've, in my mind, I've started using the artichoke analogy of peeling oh. back layers to get to the heart that's in the center. Do you think that there's an order that's advisable for people that are looking to be on this kind of a healing journey in terms of starting internally or starting externally. When at Omega, we talk a lot about where personal growth meets social change or social impact, and that both are inextricably tied to each other. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you think there's an order in which it could should happen 
Well, I would say that uh, everyone's journey is completely, completely different. And, and I can, I can say, you know, I can advise people, but certainly the advice is to, to really, really be authentic to your truth and your journey. So something that happens outside externally might actually um, be an invitation to look internally. I'm extremely focused internally, as you can see. And I, I believe, you know, as within is without, there's an, uh, the inner manifests uh, ex- external. <clears throat> However, everyone has a different, um, a different level of consciousness, a different way of coming to things. Uh, but certainly I encourage uh, that place of, of inward introspection. And even like I've worked with a lot of organizations, for example, and who want to do the work and, and bring more equ- equity to their organization, to the world. And the tendency is to do the outward thing first. Like, let's put, like, let's do our marketing. Let's like, let's put more people of color on our magazines or whatever it is. And, and that, uh, that always falls short because the internal work hasn't been done. So when we actually can do the internal work, it's, we're, we're then at a place of like really, really living it. We're really embodying what it is that we we wanna we wanna shift because the shift happens first within. Um, yeah, and it's never mutually exclusive, right? I mean, the universe right. is a pretty magical, amazing place where the person and the experience shows up, and there's the mirror. Where you got to stare yourself in the, you know, in the eyes and go back inside and look at all those little cavernous places, right? It's kind of magical how that happens. It's magical. Yeah. Not always fun, but magical. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So finally, I'd like to ask you three questions that I like to ask every guest who visits us on Dropping In. The first is, I'd like to grant you one wish for our listeners today. What would it be? Mm. Uh, One wish for our listeners. Well, I wish that you all feel um, are, are feel healthy and safe and come to a place of deep love and interconnection. Magic. Yeah. What is something you wish for yourself? Mm. That I continue on the journey of unfolding uh, and coming deeper and deeper into the heart and and releasing um, any bondage is coming into liberation for myself and all. And finally, what is the most important offering you'd like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? Mm. I would say to continue to on your journey and uh, to do that deep listening. And I'd love to be in touch. So feel free to reach out anytime. Um, And however I can be of support and of service, I am here. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today. And if people would like to learn more about you and your endeavors, where can they find you? Sure. They can, you can find um, myself and my husband, Jeff, and our amazing uh, team at www.afloflowyoga.com. And depending on the timing of this uh, podcast, we will be in uh, Costa Rica in the winter in 2022, um, leading some retreats. And we also have a, a training program that's for, for anyone to come in and to learn about uh, community healing and the roots of yoga in Africa and, and your own journey, how, how you can um, connect to your ancestry and, and uncover and unfold your, your beauty and your light. And who doesn't want to do that? Right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Leslie. Such a joy to talk with you. Thank you. You as well, Callie. It's an honor. And I love Omega. And I love uh, the whole team over there. You're all doing such great work. It's an honor. Thanks for dropping in with Omega Institute. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps New Year's find us. Dropping in is made possible in part by the support of Omega members. To learn more, visit eomega.org slash membership and check out our many online learning opportunities featuring your favorite teachers and thought leaders at eomega.org slash online learning. I'm Callie Alpert, producer and host of Dropping In. The music and mix are by Scott Mueller. Thanks for dropping in.